This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 41, Jim Liston. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Jim Thompson, founder and CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, talks with former Shivas USA strength and conditioning coach and former Los Angeles Galaxy coaching staff member, Jim Liston. You'd watch these these high-level players at the highest level that have won multiple championships. They love to play. It's it's a joyful experience. And I think as youth coaches, um, that's really our role, is that when the kids leave, our, our players leave, that there was joy today. And there's joy to come Thursday's practice. And I can't wait to get in the game on Saturday. And I'll do the best that I can. And that's it, is to light the flame. Jim shares his experience as a coach, including how to create an environment to succeed. He also shares his advice regarding weight training, the pros and cons of specializing in one sport, and minimizing the risk of injury to your players. Lastly, he shares his personal experiences coaching top soccer athletes. Jim, I want to start off by introducing you to our audience. Jim Liston was most recently the strength and conditioning coach for the MLS Shivas USA team and used to be a member of the coaching staff for the MLS Los Angeles Galaxy. Jim serves as an adjunct instructor of clinical physical therapy at the University of Southern California. He founded CATS Sports, a nationally recognized youth sports performance training center, working with athletes in every sport, especially soccer players, including players like Christine Lilly, a PCA National Advisory Board member and a past visitor to our studio here, Matt Reese, Kobe Jones, and Jimmy Conrad, to name a few. Jim earned his bachelor's degree from the University of Massachusetts Amherst and his master's in health sciences from Springfield College. He's been a certified strength and conditioning specialist since 1995. Jim has been recognized as one of the leading training and conditioning experts for youth athletes and has appeared in the New York Times, NBC Nightly News with Brian Williams, Newsweek, and Businessweek. Finally, Jim's CATS Sports Performance Center works in partnership with AYSO, and Jim has personally served as a coach for his daughter's AYSO teams. Jim, thanks for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Uh, great to be here, Jim. Former Shivas USA head coach Robin Fraser said you were inspiring to his athletes and helped to create an environment where athletes can succeed. What kinds of things do you do as a coach to foster that kind of environment? Well, that was certainly nice, um, and I appreciate that. I think uh, it was really my first experience working with pros, and I felt like um, I needed to earn their respect. So it, when my younger days, I would jump in, and I actually would train with the guys on the team, and I think that gave me a lot of credibility. Um, and now that I'm getting older, maybe it's inspirational as I reach my almost uh, <laughs> 50 years old. Um, but I think what Robin might be getting at is that the content or the training part is important, but the environment um, is essential to the success of athletes or students or whoever you're coaching or teaching. At Positive Coaching Alliance, we talk about the emotional tank that, that athletes have, like the gas tank in a car. If your gas tank is empty, you're not going to go very far. 
uh, if a kid's emotional tank is uh, drained, he or she are not going to play their best. So we encourage coaches to to be tank fillers. Is that is that similar to the kind of uh, climate you're trying to create? I think I think I really I don't think I know I love the term. I think that filling the emotional tank is. Um, you know, it's deeper than just the idea of that, hey, hey, you've done a great job, rah, rah, that there's, um, you know, there's some truthful praise and there's appropriate feedback. And, and we like to call it pie, praise, instruct, and encourage. Uh, instruct is to tell, show, do, and leave time to explore. Um, yeah, encouraging kids to make mistakes and when, and when they make mistakes. And that praise is specific and authentic. Um, so the child or the, the athlete or the student knows that, uh, you are really zeroing in on what they need to work on. And it's key that it's, uh, you know, that's where it gets dodgy, that it's not criticism, but it's, there are critical elements to any skill they learn, and it's different than criticism. Um, and praise, praise is important uh, as long as it's true. You know, um, we, we, we talk about individual leaders, but really great teams usually have leadership teams um, you know, as a strength and conditioning coach, you're part of a coaching team along with the head coach, assistant coaches. How do you all stay on the same page? Uh, spirited debate. Um, that w- I think when Robin or any head coach um, puts together their coaching staff, they're looking for somebody to fill their holes that brings a certain expertise. And with that um, comes mutual respect. Uh, and, and there needs to be trust. And when you have trust, um, then we don't have that, uh, kind of false harmony. If you read the five dysfunctions of a team, it's not, it's, it's, uh, har- harmony is great, but if it's false harmony, it's, you know, you're doomed to fail. So, uh, with any coaching staff, it's respecting and trusting the others and, and be, not being afraid to give your opinions. Uh, and then when you leave the room though, you leave the, uh, the coaching office, agree or disagree, you're all on the same page, so the the players feel like you guys are on the same that we're all on the same page. No, I love that. That's fantastic. You know, a lot of youth coaches are going to be listening to this podcast. Do you have any advice for youth coaches who are head coaches how they can interact with their assistant coaches? Um, absolutely, and I and I, I think you know, having been a, a youth uh, sports coach for so many years and having a you know, you've, you've named your assistant coach or you've been assigned your assistant coach, and then, you know, there are parents that will help. So sometimes you have a number of assistant coaches. Um, but it's really important um, with you and your assistant coach or assistant coaches and even the parents that they understand that for us, environment is first. And that the kids, when they show up, whether they're late, whether they're on time, that we are all greeting them by name not allowing nicknames, never punishing them with exercise, encouraging them to make mistakes, never let them pick teams in front of the group, and always ending as a group. And if we hit those six points, and we agree as head coach, assistant coach, and any of the parents that help, we're going to do a pretty good job of the kids feeling good about themselves when they arrive and when they leave. Because you've got to remember, you know, they've been in school six, seven hours, they're driving, they're excited to get there, and the worst thing we can do is the kid shows up late, he's 12 years old, he doesn't drive, and then we send him to run a lap. So we, there's an agreement that we will hit these six, six things. So I'm greeting by name, no nicknames, et cetera, and the four others that I named. It, you know, and that's really the first agreement that I have with my assistant coach, and that we, if we're all on the same page with that, creating that environment, those six points that I just hit, 
And then uh, the other agreement is how you start and stop a drill. I think you've been out there when one coach blows a whistle to start, the other one blows a whistle to stop. One says go, one says hey, one says whoa, you know, and it's really confusing to the kids. Uh, that's more of a management thing. And then you're, you know, and then you're on your way. I think we're all, you know, we're all in it to make this a wonderful experience for our own son or daughter and then all the kids that arrive that are on your team. You know, it strikes me is just the clarity you know, if you have several coaches working with you with those ground rules, people know what they're supposed to be doing. That's yeah, and, it, and it, right, and it's crystal clear to the coaches, and then it's you know it's crystal clear how you're um, to the kids as well, and it allows us to operate within some boundaries that we know um, work, and you know, and it's it gets and it's a great way to then the assistant coaches you know and we all over time know that it's not about the wins and losses it's about the joy it's about being with friends and it's about learning about the game that's why they're there you know people who are listening to this are going to be able to rewind it and hear that again but i I can't do that right now so could you list those six again first was greet by name yeah greet by name no nicknames nicknames are labels um it's okay to be late um and don't punish with exercise and then don't let the kids pick teams in front of the group, and then always end as a group. You know, I know a lot of coaches who let kids, encourage kids to pick their own nicknames. Could you say a little bit more about why you don't want any nicknames? Um, it, when you empower those to, to give a nickname, you're given a label. And I, and I always use the example, you know, because I've coached girls, you know, do you like Hollister, or do you like Nasty Gal, or do you like, they go to Nordstrom's, or you polo person, well, yeah, I don't like polo, then I'm going to make you wear a polo shirt every day to practice. Well, I don't like polo. Well, I'm putting that label on you. That's my decision to give you that label. Yeah. And even if you let the kids say, this is my nickname, then you've empowered everybody to give nicknames. And kids really aren't honest with how they feel about a nickname. And you have to be very, very good to give a nickname that's uplifting to a child. So it just makes it easy, and it makes it crystal clear yeah, that's your nickname, but I'm going to call you Joey or Joseph or Joe. I mean, that is your name. And that's it. And then it's clear to all the coaches because it, it can trickle down to the players and the assistant coaches. And next thing you know, you've got nicknames that could be deemed inappropriate. You know, this, what this makes me think of is recognition. You know, we, um, we tell coaches when you're recognizing a player, don't try to be humorous. You know, this is a big moment for the kid being in the spotlight. And very few of us are able to give that recognition in a way that uses humor appropriately. So stay away from that. Uh, stay away from it. And, you know, there are very few of us that are comedians. And, and those are very, like you mentioned, they're very important moments. And, these, and the, they're the moments that kids are going to remember forever. Um, how, how can coaches create an environment where conditioning is actually fun for the athlete? Two words, gameplay. You know, uh, whether it's hunters and hunted, um, uh, sharks and minnows, they call it the gauntlet. If kids are enjoying, it's just flags and different, different rules and different boundaries. And kids will run around and their respiration rate, heart rate, temperature rate, they will all go up playing a game. Um, for example, and if you do that early, that's part of the warm-up, but there are also concepts of the games, Sharks and Minnows, that apply to soccer. They're shielding your flag, like shielding the ball. There's penetration to get to the other side. There's delaying the athlete so you can get a, enforcing them one way, because you can force them to cover in that game of hunters and hunted, Sharks and Minnows. Uh, they will get fit 
through play and not wow. think about it. You know, if I were to have a hunters and hunting game for five minutes and all the kids would be panting and smiling and that if you ask that same group to run two laps for five minutes, it would be slower. The, the mechanics would be different than sprinting, which is required in, in any sport and they would dread it. We can get them to smile and play. And probably they don't want to stop after five minutes. Well, they don't want to stop. Then they don't. Then it's hard to get them to play soccer. <laughs> uh, that's a whole, you know, all right, we're moving on from the gauntlet. No, we want to play some more. Um, but it's, uh, you know, and it's and generally the games, it, that's how you start early. The, remembering the kids have been lectured to and they've been in class. Maybe they had a little recess. Um, and they want to run around. And they're energetic. And let's let them express that energy while they're playing. And then they become more coachable um, because it's really tough to, to try to give them that technical drill the first minute they're there. They're not ready for that yet. Wow, those are fantastic suggestions. You know, there's so much emphasis on performance, on improving performance. And um, What's the right time for a kid to, to hit the weight room? Is there a specific age uh, when kids should start lifting weights or is it more complicated than that? Yeah, I, I, well, it's it's more complicated. You could generally say that once they're 15 years old and above, you're a sophomore in high school um, for the boys, freshman for the girls. That they've you know they've grown in general. They've hit um, you know the stage through puberty. Uh, but if you have a very good coach and you have very good supervision, um, you know, I have my daughters are middle schoolers that they could lift weights, but it was under my direct supervision. So if you don't have a trusted um, certified strength and conditioning specialist, somebody that has um, a background in training, you, you just wouldn't do it. You'd wait till they got in high school. Um, in the younger ages, the you know, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, they need to be able to transfer their own weight and, ba- and balance and control their body weight. So it's really unnecessary. So is there a penalty? You know, say you've got two kids uh, about the same uh, relative ability, uh, 10, 11, 12 years old. One of them has a competent strength and conditioning coach. The other doesn't. You know, by the time they're 15 or 16, is there a, is there a penalty for the kid who doesn't? Uh, yes. Um, you know, the kid that, that gets that's stronger, younger, um, quite possibly could be more successful on the field. And we know that the kids that are more successful have more confidence, uh, more confidence get into more competitive environments, more competitive environments often get better coaching and coaching that's with appropriate feedback that allows them to grow um, for sure. And we all have, uh, we've all dealt a certain hand and we're not all going to be fast, um, but we can all be faster. And anytime you can uh, enhance the athleticism of of a child, whether it's strength, flexibility, mobility, or coordination at the younger ages, they're more likely to be successful later on. You know, it seems like that increases the temptation for parents to to get their kids into weight training without a competent supervisor. I um, agreed, and that's where you know the trouble starts. There, every uh, you know, they whether it's a motor skill or increasing strength, we all have our our time frame. You know, we all didn't read when we turned. We didn't when we were five years old. We all didn't walk when we were a year old. You know that, and it's I, I try to. One word for parents for me is patience. Um, there's that, that draw to listen to what somebody else is doing, compare themselves to another chi- their child to another child, and there's a, there's a big risk to that. 
um, it's just uh, let's all be patient and let them enjoy the process of it. You know, again, getting back to this win at all cost mentality, they got to get better, uh, you know, using performance enhancing drugs. Some kids not even in sports use them because they want to look like a certain body type. Uh, are there any warning signs when kids start using performance enhancing drugs? Um, yeah. Uh, and I believe you're talking about that it's muscle dysmorphia. It's this idea that, you know, it's the opposite of anorexia nervosa where the boys see themselves as too skinny and they are, they're living up to that ideal. They want big arms and big chest. And because of it, they're willing to uh, have that risky behavior. Uh, but any, um, increase in mass, um, muscle mass, uh, quickly is a surefire sign that your son or daughter you know, more often than not, it's the boys doing something. Uh, it could be as simple as creatine, which is a cell, you know, a cell volumizer that increases muscle mass, or it could be steroids. I mean, there's a, and there are a lot of high school kids taking steroids, and a number of them, like you had mentioned, don't play sports. But an increase in muscle mass and a change in, um, I'd like to say, uh, temper. Um, but we're in, in uh, but we're also dealing with high school kids that could be a little bit up and down anyway emotionally as their hormones are changing. You've had a chance to work with some of the top athletes in soccer, people like Christine Lilly and Kobe Jones, uh, who we talked about before. What characteristics do you think these athletes had that helped them reach the elite level of soccer? What stands out for you about them and what made them successful? Well, one is their incredible drive but even even maybe more so than that uh, is their willingness and ability to be honest with themselves Hmm. here's what i'm good at here's what i'm not good at here's what i'm good at here's what i'm going to be great at i'm going to define myself if you think of kobe it's you know kobe was fast and he figured a guy that slow down and once the guy's off balance he's by him and he worked on becoming a better crosser of the ball and shooting better and he you know he defined himself and it was through uh, you know, looking at your strengths and weaknesses and making sure that your strengths, you are great. You know, we, we all work on, oh, I got to work on my weaknesses. Well, it's really, what is it that I can define me? And then when you know the things that you're working on, they were driven to do it. They put the extra work in. Uh, and then their that competitiveness, that in training, like Kobe, I'd see day in and day out. Kobe competed every single day in everything that he did. Um, you know, it was important to him that when it was a, in a game, whether it was 1v1 or 5v5, or if we were just doing a sprint, that it's important for Kobe to be competitive. Um, and that, that drive got him to where he is, uh, for sure. And that would be any of the great athletes is, being, is that open honesty with themselves, hard work, competitive drive, and joy. And joy, the love of playing. Um, you know, the, the guys and gals that are so successful, they love to play and they love to compete. And it's a wonderful, and there's an appreciation from the very successful that this is a wonderful way to make a living. If you'd watch these, the, these high-level players at the highest level that have won multiple championships, they love to play. It's, it's a joyful experience. And I think as youth coaches, um, you know, we can talk about the content and we need to be able to pass and receive and dribble, et cetera. But it's what is it, you know, it's that that child feels that, you know, it's important that you as a coach that you feel like it's important that they showed up and they have that same sense and that we are giving them skills so they feel some confidence and they can then find that joy in the game. 
and that's our that's really our role is that when the kids leave our our players leave that there was joy today and there's joy to come Thursday's practice and I can't wait to get in the game on Saturday and I'll do the best that I can and that's it is to light the flame wow yeah that's lovely let me go back to you're talking about elite elite athletes being honest with themselves uh it sounded like you know working on your weaknesses building up your strengths it sounded like you felt that it's more important for athletes to make their strengths great. And it's not either or, uh, but it seemed like you put more emphasis on uh, really making their strengths great. When you're good at something, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's you feel confident. It's like, you know, this is a great ball winner. Look at Sam. She, she wins every ball in the air. And on corner kick, she's really dangerous because then it's that – it's she works on it and she's identified for that way and if you know she wants to go and play in college this is what the tournament was for then the coaches look at her man i i need a player like that i could use a player like that because if you're just working on all of your weaknesses all the time you haven't spent the hours that it needs to be great at what you're what you're good at jim you know one of the things that i and other pca uh trainers who go around the country speaking when we we speak to parents uh we hear over and over again about the pressure they feel to have their kids specialized uh, at an early age. Is there anything we can say to parents to help them resist the pressure to specialize for, you know, for their kids to specialize at an early age? Yeah, I would think I would, you know, research shows that 70% of kids quit youth sports by the time they're 13. Um, They're either hurt, they're burnt out, uh, there's too much pressure to win. Um, you know, so it's very risky to just jump in and play one sport. Um, you know, and the other part is if I do, I am good at a sport, and so I just play that sport, and I've done it for six or seven years, what happens when you reach the teen years and you don't like it anymore? Um, it's giving children an opportunity to experiment with a number of sports is going to pay off in the long run. I think I I was listening to um was it Shannon Box um on the Responsible Sports Network here and she said that she had played three or four sports in high school and here's somebody that's won an Olympic gold medal or a couple of them. Uh we want with the advantage to playing a number of sports is they get a number of exposures to different motor skills and motor development and coordination kinesthetic differentiation, all of these things that are important to athleticism, really the foundation of being a good athlete in any game. And then as they get older, they will then be drawn to the sport that they love. And when you love something and you're successful, you're more likely to go and practice it on your own. If started too young, private sessions, three or four practices a day, um, I'm sorry, three or four practices a week, year in and year out, leads to burnout. You know, we have a sports performance center here in Pasadena, but we also have physical therapy attached to it. And I can't tell you the number of children that we see on the tables with overuse injuries. You know, the risk of overuse injury in the last 30 years has gone from, um, according to Lyle McKaylee from Boston Children's in the 70s, 10% of the injuries you saw were overuse, and now 70% of the injuries you see are overuse injuries. Um, That the risk is far too great. Don't buy into it. Uh, everybody's going to sell you on it. You know, your child is the next messy. Let's let them try some other sports as well. Because when they do decide in themselves what they love, um, they're more likely to be successful. 
Yeah, you know, that's beautiful. You know, a kid who doesn't get a chance to try different sports, there may be one that, that he or she could could just fall in love with and, and become really good at. Right. And if they do love it, then they're more likely to continue to play it. And uh, whether it's high school, college, and then even recreationally, because we want... Um, you know, we want the kids to not just play sports. We think of youth sports, but it's can you find an activity that after school, after college, that you find an activity that keeps you healthy and fit for years to come. And the only way you do that is if there's joy in it. Yeah, you know, the, the joy thing keeps coming back. Speaking of injuries, um, what, what advice do you have for coaches to create an environment that minimizes the, the risk of injury? Uh, that it's the injuries that we see now are just it's from repetitive stress it's doing the same thing day in and day out it's to make sure that there's an appropriate warm-up and that you're working on coordination flexibility mobility and strength even from the youngest ages and i and i say coordination first um, whether it's gallop skip shuffle karaoke backpedal um because then you're moving your body in three planes of movement at different speeds and velocities, and that's going to reduce your risk of injury, just to be able to move in as many directions as possible. Um, not just working and, you know, soccer's a great example. Let's jog around the field and let's sprint straight ahead and everything we do straight ahead. And in the game, you how often do you run straight ahead? Your runs are bending, you got V runs, you're backpedaling, you're side shuffling, um, and coordination's essential to that. So let's say as a coach, you, you do and say everything to create an environment where injuries are not so likely to happen, but injuries happen anyway. So how do you, how do you help kids deal with uh, injuries when they happen? We're going to say an injury for the season or injury for a week or two weeks? Let's start with a shorter term, uh, say two or three week injury. Yeah, well, I, I think it's, um, I really feel it's important that that injured player has a role within the group, um, whether it's assisting the coach on calling out the warm-up, all right, I want everybody to skip down and come back and jog down and jog back and shuffle forward and back um, so they feel there's some engagement. Because, you know, you can just sit them on the sideline and ask them to come to practice, and, and it's, it's terrible for them. Well, let's get them engaged in the practice, if we're practicing heading, I'm throwing one of them. They've, they've got a partner. They've partnered up. Even if they have an ankle boot, they can still throw the ball up in the air and feel like they're part of the team. Because that's, that's really it. You lose, when you're not playing, you lose a little bit of you know, yourself. You kind of disappear out of the team. How can we make sure that they are doing something, feeling part of the group? That's lovely. You know, uh, what, what, do you, what do you do if you have a kid who's out with an injury for the whole season? That is a sad, that's sad times. Um, you know, there's no question about it. Um, we've seen plenty of kids that have with torn ACLs and they're out for the year. Um, that I've seen in high school that um, offering that player a management position, even though it's not the same, whether where they're tracking during the game, maybe passes or shots or balls one in the air, that they are the information they're gathering is really essential to the success of the team, whatever that means underneath. You know, for soccer, it would be tracking a game. And then after the game, the next practice, you could talk about what you did well, what you didn't do well. And, and then the, that person that's injured, the manager is like, wow, I got that information from my team. And I know that's going to help the next game. So they're always 
either at the game participating. They're part of the plan for the next game. So it feels like, man, I'm really contributing. Well, that's that's brilliant stuff. Thank you. Let's talk about you, you coaching your own daughter. What was it like to, to coach your daughter in a team of lots of other kids? Well, you know, it was wonderful, in a word. Um, she started so young. You know, we did the under six, so the five, six, seven, eight, nine, and, you know, it was beehive soccer. And, um, you know, I, I feel... I feel like I had a pretty good idea from what I had been through to how to create an environment where all the kids felt like it was important. They came and they felt confident and successful. I thought I did a good job with that. Uh, certainly looking back, I probably could have added a little more learning soccer. Um, <laughs> you know, remembering that they're there to learn. Uh, but I, I, um, I, I guess I feel like it's wonderful because I, I, I'd like to draw a story when I went out, my daughter was in kindergarten and I joined the PTA. You know, you're very excited when you're first is in kindergarten. And so they, they assigned me a, to do the newsletter and with one of my neighbors and I get about, you know, two weeks and I go, what am I doing doing a newsletter? <laughs> I need to. So I went to the principal and there's, you know, physical education. It's, you know, isn't taught by physical education teachers uh, in California in general. So I just finally asked the principal, I said, how can I help on the playground? <laughs> I got to get back to doing, you know, I want to do something that I enjoy doing that I at least know I can affect this group of kids in physical activity. So I guess in a nutshell, I always felt like it was my way of giving my daughter and then, you know, her group of friends an opportunity to, to be in a nice environment. Did you see life lessons that your daughter picked up through sports that, um, you know, she, she maybe not have picked up anywhere else in, in, uh, in life. Uh, yeah. And, and just even recently as, and, you know, as the kids hit the teen years, you know, and, um, and just the emotions are running and hormones are going and, you know, the up and down of the teen years that, um, you know, the, the, the team is the kind of a microcosm that there are even ups and downs with the team. And, uh, just recently when the going gets when the going goes well within the group it's cheer 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 um well even this year when the going wasn't going well um you know some of the the kids were saying things that were you know inappropriate really i'm getting down on each other and you know that's what happens in a group um you know, it's easy character. It's easy to show that my, Hey, my character is great when, when things are going well, but let's, the character isn't shown until things aren't going well and how you handle that. And that happened. It was the season and, and they battled through it. And, um, you know, they, they were all realized that they have certain skills. They're good at this. They're accountable for certain things to themselves and the team. And then everybody understands their role within the group. And they, you know, this was all facilitated by the coach and, and they had a wonderful year and it's knowing that you're going to be in a group, you're going to go out in the real world and work, and these things are going to happen. Uh, things aren't going to go well, and how do you deal with them? And can you be honest, and can you be upfront, and can you be accountable for what you need to be accountable for? Uh, so I don't know if you can find that anywhere, really. Um, it's tough because high school is in a classroom. A team, you have a collective goal of trying to be successful in, you know, in the sport. Um, and that was, uh, and there's so many wonderfully positive things that come from that is, you know, when you are lifting others up and you're making it okay for them to make the mistakes, to understand that 
the best teams in the world only you know complete 80% of their passes that that's okay um and that's okay that to not be perfect either you know they, they there's this tendency to put so much pressure on themselves that they fear making mistakes and then then they don't play anymore um so it's just letting yourself out there know it's part of the process and if you lift your teammate up um he or she is going to feel better moving forward we want them to continue to try these things you know jim uh, i feel like we could keep talking for hours and i have I, I have one last question if you could have every high school and youth coach in the country do one exercise in practice with their athletes every day what would it be uh it would be uh, running, looking over their left shoulder, and after about 10 yards to then rotate your body and look over their right shoulder. That's simple. Um, learning to run from forward to backwards. Uh, it gets a little bit lost. Um, and we spend a lot of time running forward, a little bit running sideways, and we need to learn to move our body. You know, it's just a, really a body control thing. And I don't know if I, I described that very well, but if I'm running forward, looking back over my left, and then get halfway and don't turn my head, so I'm still looking at you if you're behind me, and then can I then look over my right shoulder? That would be the one. Your head doesn't move. Your whole body rotates around your head. Maybe a good example. I'm looking back at the, my, the goal I'm defending, and I'm looking over my left shoulder, but I'm running towards the opponent's goal, yep. and I get to midfield, and I still look at my goal, but then I turn my whole body, and now I'm looking over my right shoulder, and I'm wow. still going in the same direction. That pays off whether you're playing soccer, whether you're, you know, you're trying to track a ball, um, baseball, crack of the bat. You've got to be able to sprint out in the center field, look over your left shoulder, reach up with your glove to catch it. Uh, really important. Very uh, important. Jim, this is... This has been fantastic. Uh, I'm so delighted you took the time to talk with me today. You know, there's going to be a lot of coaches, parents, athletes who are going to listen to this, and they're just going to get so much from it. Thank you so much. Well, it's, it's, been, it's been my pleasure, and I, and I really appreciate um, uh, what the Positive Coaching Alliance means to people out there. And, uh, you know, we're all on the same page here. Let's make youth sports great. To learn more about responsible sports, including downloading valuable tools on a mastery approach to youth sports that includes creating a commitment to learning, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.